So we've been talking about prayer. We're in the middle of a 50-day prayer initiative. And I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles or otherwise your attention on the screen to the Gospel of John. We're in the 17th chapter there. And this is what is often known as the Lord's Prayer. It is the prayer of Jesus that took place in the garden before Jesus was betrayed and led to be crucified. And I'm going to invite you to start with me at the 20th verse where Jesus prays for all believers. And this is what he prays. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There was a Pentecostal college just down the street from Eastern College where Tony Campolo taught. And Tony notes that he is not Pentecostal, but because he talks so fast, some of his Pentecostal brothers thought that he was speaking in tongues. And so on one occasion, they invited him to come and to speak at their chapel. He says, before I was allowed to speak, I had to go to this back room off to the side, and they invited me in there, and then they said, you have to get down on your knees, and then they laid their hands on me, and they started to pray. And they prayed for quite some time. And Tony says their hands got pretty heavy. But one guy, Tony says, one guy wasn't even praying for me. He went on and on and on about somebody named Charlie Studfuss. Dear Lord, he shouted, you know Charlie. He lives in that silver trailer just about a mile down the road on the right-hand side. Lord, Charlie told me this morning he is leaving his wife and his three children. So Lord, step in and do something. Bring that family back together again. And this guy kept going on and on and on, Tony said. Finally, he finished praying. They allowed me to go up into the pulpit and I preached. And then after I finished, I got back in my car I started back down the Pennsylvania turnpike. I headed for home, and I wondered what those prayers were all about. So last week, we talked about prayer as being a partnership between God and us. This morning, I'd like to examine that with you for a few moments a little bit deeper. While most people will define prayer for you as asking and hopefully getting God to do what they want God to do for them. Biblically, prayer is better understood as the communication part of our love relationship with the Father. 
as well as with the Son and the Spirit. Prayer is about deepening our relationship with our God. Prayer is about increasing our awareness of what God is doing and where he is doing it so that we can join God in the work of building his church and establishing his kingdom. As a result, however, of the prevailing view of prayer, we are often encouraged to be very active prayers. And so with the very best of motives, we bring our needs, we bring our intercessions, we offer our petitions to God, and we make the most compelling case that we can for why God ought to do things the way we think he ought to do them. God ought to do things in a certain way, we think. And that certain way is our way. So with the best of intentions, we ask God repeatedly to heal and to save, to transform lives, to change communities and our world. Only to get to that point where we realize the answers we seek are always the answers we receive. As a result of these unrealized answers, many believers become passive prayers. They've given up on intercessions and on petitions. They are weary of unanswered prayer. They have stopped asking for things, so they're no longer disappointed when the answer doesn't come. They're simply content to let God be God because they figure God's going to do what God wants to do anyway, and there's really nothing they can do about it except go along with the flow. If we look at Jesus' prayers, we come to the realization that Jesus didn't pray active prayers. We also come to the realization that Jesus didn't pray passive prayers. Jesus prayed what Eugene Peterson calls as prayers in the middle voice. In the active voice, you see, I initiate the action. I'm in charge. I make the requests. I tell God what I think God ought to be doing. In the passive voice, I'm the one simply being acted on. I receive the action. I have little say about it. I am given advice. But in the middle voice, I am an active participant but I recognize the action didn't begin with me. I am joining action that is already underway. I am joining somebody else's agenda and the work initiated by someone else. Now, while the Greek for most people is considered to be an ancient language relegated to seminaries and classical studies, Greek is the language of the New Testament and that has left us with a rather difficult problem. You see, the Greek language has three voices. They have the active voice, they have the passive voice, and then in the middle, they have the middle voice. However, in the English, we only have two voices. We have the active voice, and we have the passive voice. So how do we get those to translate? That's the question. We don't have the voice that Jesus used when he prayed. 
Now, Peterson helps us understand these terms a little bit when he says, and the words are up there on the screen, you can follow along. Prayer is the complex participation of God and the human, his will and our wills. We do not merely abandon ourselves to the stream of grace or drown ourselves in the ocean of love, losing our identity. We do not pull the strings that activate God's work in our lives and subject God to our assertive identity. We can neither manipulate or control God, that's the active voice, nor are we manipulated, controlled by God in the passive voice. We are, Peterson says, involved in the action and participate in its results, but we don't control or define it. That's the middle voice. Prayer takes place in the middle voice. I think it's important for us to understand this, to understand these three voices and to especially get a grip on this middle voice because not only is this entire message focused on understanding what that middle voice is, understanding the middle voice impacts our praying, but it also has the potential, in my estimation, of dramatically reshaping how we understand not only prayer, but also life. You see, the middle voice means that we are active participants in an action that has been initiated by someone else. We participate in that action, and as a result, we get to reap the benefits of that action, but we are not entirely, solely active. God's action doesn't depend on our initiative or on our assent but neither are we entirely passive. God has freely chosen to act almost exclusively in partnership with you and with me. God is active, and we join God in his activity. All interaction with God in prayer happens in this middle voice, in what Tyler Staten says is the voice of participation. So Jesus not only teaches us to pray in the middle voice, Jesus knew this kind of praying would also lead us to live in the middle voice. So here we have these verses that we read. We'll read them again, starting in that passage of John 17 at the 20th verse. Jesus prays, Father, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Note the action begins with God in these verses. Just as you are in me and I am in you. Notice that Jesus wants us and invites us to participate, that they may also be in us. And as a result, what happens in that participation is that the world will see and the world will believe. That's prayer in the middle voice. Jesus continues in the 22nd and in the 23rd verse. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as, even as you have loved me. Note the action again begins with God. 
the glory that you gave me. God initiated that. Now, Jesus wants us to join in. He wants us to participate with him. He says that they may be brought to complete unity. That's us. And the result is, the reason for that is, and the benefit of our participating together is that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. Prayer in the middle voice. In the beginning, in the original garden, there was one voice. It was this middle voice. You see, Adam and Eve, by God's design, were participants. They were created to be participants in God's action and in his creation. They named the animals. They harvested in the garden. They graciously ruled over the other species that God had created. None of what was entrusted to them was initiated by them. They were not in the active voice. God did the initiating. God always spoke the first word. Adam and Eve, as we noted last week, were created to rule. Not disconnected from God's rule, but in partnership with God and his rule by God's invitation and by God's design. And then Eve took that first bite of her Macintosh. I'm not sure why we always assume it was an apple. But she took that from the forbidden tree. And then she introduced the active voice into God's world. You see, deceived, no longer convinced that God had her best interests at part, she decided that she would go off on her own, do her own thing, and she decided what the world should look like. She separated that participation, first one in the active voice. She wanted to be the initiator not just a participant in the action. And then Adam, equally guilty, decides to sort of pass the buck, if you will. That woman that you put here, she's the one that gave me fruit of the tree. I really didn't have any choice in the matter, so I went along with it. And Adam introduces the passive voice into the world. God created the world perfectly. God created us to rule and design creation to require our participation in it. And so the middle voice, if you will, is the original. It is the created voice between us and God. Jesus not only invites us back into our original relationship, he invites us back into the original language he makes it possible for us by his coming. He makes it possible for us by his suffering. He made it possible for us by his crucifixion, by his death, and then by his resurrection and ascension. So Jesus invites us to recover the language that we lost in the fall. The middle voice is our redeemed language. In biblical prayer, in Jesus' prayer, in all prayer, the reality is God's action always precedes my request. We pray at his invitation. The goal of prayer is not to get God to do what I think that God ought to be doing, even though most of us think that if God is wise, he'll be doing exactly what we want him to do. For us to become aware of what God is doing and then to join him there 
and to enjoy the blessings that God promises and offers for participating in his will and in his work. Prayer is the recovery of our role in God's created order. It is the reminder of our true identity in God, and it provides for us the blessings that only partnering with God can offer. So Mary, Mary was in her early teens. She was smitten with a young man. She was imagining a fairy tale future. And then she was visited by an angel. And this angel said, Mary, even though you are a virgin, you will be carrying a child. It is the spirit of God who will be responsible for the conception Yahweh will be the father. On the one hand, the news was absolutely thrilling. I mean, God was making good on centuries of promises that had been conveyed by the prophets. And she, now having been divinely selected, would have a front row seat as the mother of the son of God. That's a wow. On the other hand, The news was absolutely devastating. Mary was engaged. How do you explain to your fiance that you're a virgin, but you're with child? And it's not his. It's the father in heavens. The creator of the universe. It's the alpha and the omegas. It's Yahweh's. Now, Mary could logically assume that this would mean a broken engagement and a broken heart. There would be those legal issues. There was a penalty for adultery in Levitical law. It was execution. And truth is, Mary lives in a small town. The news will spread very quickly. And unless her fiancé is very gracious and the judge is... Overly lenient, she will soon be on death row. Mary's family will disown her. They have no choice. Otherwise, they will not be allowed in the town. They would not be allowed in the synagogue. They would not be allowed in the temple. If her life is spared, and that was a big if, she would live with the permanent social stigma and the religious judgment was good news but this good news came with a heavy price it often does Mary's response to the angel is simple I'm the Lord's servant may your word in me be fulfilled now that is a stunning prayer of surrender and participation It is prayer in the middle voice. It is prayer in the middle voice in the mess of ordinary life, in a disordered world that is filled with heartache and loss and grief and pain. It is the place where prayer comes and takes up residence in between the compelling wonder and the confusing mystery, in between the miracles and the divine silence 
It is the place where prayers for healing often end in grief. Prayers for love sometimes bring loneliness. Prayers for prodigals that seem to go unanswered. Prayers for more resources that are yet unfulfilled. Prayers where the good news, the best news, still means suffering and pain and heartache. But prayer in the middle voice commits us to participating in the actions of our Father in heaven. And while that is amazing, it seldom seems to fit our wants and our agenda and our will and our wisdom. It does acknowledge our place in the creation order. We get to receive and we get to respond to God's action. Stanton suggests that participating in God's will, participating in God's activity is a little, I'll underscore that, a little like stepping into the current of a river. We enter it, and having entered it, we have a choice. We can swim freely along with the water's pull, or we can try and swim against the current with frailing arms and with kicking feet. But either way, the current is going to bring us down the river. We can agree with it or we can fight it, but we can't resist the current, and we can't pretend the pond we're in is a still water lake. It sounds fatalistic until we remember that it is the river of life and it is flowing toward joy and eternity. Mary prays with an amazing faith. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And suddenly in that moment and in that instant, all of her life is changed. It's transformed. Doctor visits, nutrition, three trimesters of discomfort. In order to participate fully in God's mission and in his redemptive plan. She welcomes and she cooperates with God's activity, not only in the world, but also in her life. And the result, she notes it. She is divinely blessed. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. This is what following Jesus means. This is what prayer seeks. To cooperate with God's will, with his redemptive work in our broken world. To swim along with the current. To use our arms and legs to propel us into God's will. Do we really want to cooperate with his work in us? His formation of our thoughts and our desires and our emotions and our actions. All those things that have been disordered by the fall. If we do, then we need to learn to pray in the middle voice. Do we really want the spirit to rework within us life like, like a mechanic would be working on a classic car to keep us running based on the original design? Then we pray in the middle voice. The psalmist writes, Psalm 112, surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. 
They have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Imagine. Imagine life with no fear. There is nothing that you and I fear more than bad news. Our plans are regularly bombarded with bad news. The cancer is spread. So-and-so has been in an accident. Your services at work are no longer needed. The baby has died. She's on the spectrum. The ringing phone just seems to send shivers down her spine. When God's angel arrived, Mary's carefully thought-out plans were demolished. Mary's response, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Amazing maturity for a young teenager. Prayer opens our heart to the Spirit's work in us so that you and I can say, yes, Lord, have it your way. In praying in the middle voice, we are consenting to the Spirit's work as he forms us into resilient people in a fragile world with no fear, no bad news that will distract us from our mission of following in his footsteps and going where he leads. In the garden, before his death, Jesus prays similar words. Father, if you are willing, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, but not my will. Not in the active voice but your will be done. One of the most anguish-ridden nights of his life, Jesus prays the words of his mother. Maybe Jesus heard his mother praying as he was growing up as a child. Or maybe he just watched how she lived. Because when you pray in the middle voice, you begin to live in the middle voice in God's will. With Jesus facing his impending crucifixion, Jesus prays as he lives his life in the middle voice, as a participant in God's plan of redemption and mission. Jesus finds resilience at the end of his life in the very same place his mother found resilience at the beginning of his life in partnering with the Father and with the Spirit. Do you know this life of consenting participation? Have you learned to pray in the middle voice? As we become increasingly aware of our lack of control, are we growing more resilient or more anxious? Are our prayers more requests for what we want in the active voice 
or more apathetic mumblings in the passive voice or more anticipatory prayers in the middle voice. Praying in the middle voice restores our identity as God's partners. It restores our rule and the overseeing of God's creation. It brings us back to God's perfect world and our participation in the redemption and recreation of it. Truth is, that means prayer is pretty risky business because God loves to use us in response to our own prayers. Mother Teresa always, she always denied that she was an activist. She claimed she was a contemplative at heart. She wanted to be, first thing, a prayer. And everything that she did, she says, in life was in response to her prayers. She claimed that her passion was simply to be with God, and she responded accordingly. She was a person of prayer in the middle voice. You see, prayer properly understood and properly practiced is the seed from which all ministry grows. Intimacy with God through prayer, Henry Nouwen says, precedes, must precede ministry. Those who prioritize a loving relationship with God, those who are meeting with him regularly through spontaneous as well as through extended times of prayer are those that God empowers for ministry in his church and in his kingdom. As we spend time with Jesus, we become more and more like him. We become more and more a part of building his kingdom, of being recipients of his will the closer we get the more we learn to reflect Jesus and the more we're deeply invested in his mission see biblically speaking inner prayer and our outward compassion is inseparable the Hebrew for personal inner righteousness is tosequa the Hebrew for outward justice is tosequa, same word. To care for the poor, the scripture says, is to be righteous. To be righteous, the scripture says, is to care for the poor. And that's why Jesus got so worked up about people who claimed that they were inwardly devoted, but were so outwardly disengaged person or community practicing pious spirituality without engaging in the costly public com compassion is not only dysfunctional, but oxymoronic. It is impossible to know God through private prayer without equally participating with God in public mercy. So prayer and ministry, prayer and mission, they always go together. To pray is to be invited into mission. To pray is to be invited into God's will. To pray is to be invited to participate with him. To pray is to be led to the broken places, the broken people, and even the broken parts within ourselves. 
To pray is to take up residence with the misfits, with the marginalized, with the oppressed, and with the outcast. And at some point, he'll invite us to follow him where he is going. To pray is to step into the gap between the wonder and the mystery, between clarity and confusion, between now and the not yet, between darkness and light, between this world and the forever world of his kingdom. N.T. Wright, a New Testament theologian, writes, the Christian vocation is to be in prayer at the place where the world is in pain. In fact, proximity to pain seems to lend credibility and power to our prayers. Before that can happen, we need to focus on our relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. Trying to follow Jesus or engaging in ministry without a prayerful relationship with his Father may be well-intentioned, but it never works out very well. So Tony writes, as I drove onto the turnpike, I noticed a hitchhiker. <laughs> now, I know you're not supposed to pick them up, but I'm a preacher, Tony says, and whenever I can get a captive audience, I do it. So I picked him up, and I said, Hi, I'm Tony Campolo. What's your name? And he said, I'm, I'm Charlie Stoltfus. I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the very next exit and headed back. He got a little easy with that. He said, Mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. He said, Why? I said, Well, because you just left your wife and your three children. That blew him away. With shock written all over his face, he sat plastered to the outside door on the passenger side. He really lost it when I drove right up to his silver trailer. He asked me, how did you know I lived here? I said, God told me. I said, get out and get into the trailer. He moved fast. When he opened the trailer door, his wife was there, and his wife exclaimed, you're back, you're back. He went over to her and whispered in her ear. The more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. I said, both of you sit down. I'm going to talk. You're going to listen. And they did. Tony says, like I was E.F. Hutton. That afternoon... They both committed their life to Jesus Christ. And today, he's a pastor in Southern California. When we pray in the middle voice, the power of God's spirit is unleashed. When we pray with Jesus, when we spend time with him, we begin to start doing the things that Jesus did. Because we can't help it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the invitation to pray, for the invitation to participate with you, 
the opportunity to follow in your will, with the opportunity to see the amazing things that you're doing in this world and to be an active participant in them. Father, that's a gift that we often take for granted. But today, we pause to say thank you. Thank you for blessing us. In Jesus' name, amen.